Air Force One pulls to a stop on a secured runway at McGuire Air Force Base. A set of stairs are put in place. Military personnel move to their assigned locations. The door opens. The, began, the band begins to play Hail to the Chief. And the President of the United States steps out of the plane. He descends down the stairs and begins to make his way through the gauntlet of dignitaries and civilian officials. Some get a friendly smile, some a pat on the back, a peck on the cheek for a few of the ladies, and many receive a handshake. But the decorated commanders, military commanders, even the generals and chiefs of staff, not to mention the, the military honor guard, all stand stiffly at attention and salute the president. And they receive a simple salute in return because the president of the United States, though a civilian office, is at the same time the commander and chief of the armed forces and he outranks them all. Well, this morning we turn to one of those, another one of those curious pre-incarnation appearances of the Lord Jesus, the third person of the Trinity in the Old Testament. We call them Christophanies. And there are a number of them in the Old Testament. A few months ago, maybe you'll remember that we looked at uh, Exodus chapter 3, where Jesus appears to Moses in the burning bush. Uh, revealing to us uh, Christ as the holy, vigilant, and merciful Savior of his people. This morning, uh, we find Jesus again appearing, this time to Moses' successor, Joshua. So please turn um, in your Bibles <clears throat> to the book of Joshua and uh, chapter 5. Joshua chapter 5, very end of the chapter, beginning at verse 3 and reading through the 15th verse. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the army, of the Lord's army, said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. May God add his blessing to his <coughs> remarkable word. So here's Joshua, the newly and relatively untested uh, leader of the nation of Israel, uh, a nation in the very midst of migration, and he has already successfully led them across the Jordan, and that 
with the waters miraculously drawn back as when they crossed the Red Sea with Moses. But now, the real work begins. The task of conquering the land of Canaan given them by the Lord. And Joshua's first challenge was to be the daunting task of taking the city of Jericho, one of the great guardian cities situated along the Jordan. Jericho was designed to withstand military sieges. Jericho was prepared. Now, Lord's Day evening uh, before last, we read about Jericho in chapter 2 with the spies who uh, Joshua sent to spy out the city in preparation for the battle. And the focus was largely upon Rahab. Uh, But now in chapter 5, we find uh, Joshua walking around, scanning the defenses of the city from a safe distance. Perhaps he's wondering, how in the world will he possibly breach that formidable defenses, these huge walls surrounding the city, when suddenly this strange encounter with a mysterious visitor um, appears. Suddenly, a mysterious visitor who identifies himself um, as the captain or the commander of the army of the Lord. That is to say, the commander uh, of uh, of the militant host of heaven represented to us in other places in Scripture as vast and absolutely unstoppable. And he's holding in his hand a drawn sword, combat weapon. Think automatic pistol, better assault rifle. And, And who is he? Who is this commander, this chief of the army of the Lord? Well, he is uh, no one less than the pre-incarnate Jesus. And, and how do we know that? Well, there are at least three things that convince me. First is what we might call concordance. That is, agreement or harmony in, uh, of this passage with the very passage we looked at back in October where we identified, clearly identified Jesus as the one speaking to Moses from the burning bush. And you remember how Jesus, uh, God, identified himself when he speaks to Moses as he approaches that flaming bush. He says in chapter 3, Exodus 3, 5, he said, Do not come near, take off the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Those were Jesus' words. And we can be very certain that Moses would have shared that life-changing experience and repeated those very words in the ears of his protege, uh, 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 Joshua, and uh, those words he heard from, from the burning bush. And here's Jesus again. And just as he had met with Moses to initiate uh, the delivery of his people out of Egypt, uh, now he meets with Joshua whom he's appointed to bring his people into the land of Canaan. And what are the first words from this awesome commander? It's the very same words, the very same command with which he has spoken to Moses. Chapter 5, verse 15. And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you're standing 
is holy. Same admonition, because Joshua is standing in the holy presence of the same holy Lord, the pre-incarnate Jesus. Take off your sandals, Moses. Take them off, Joshua. Now, a second point in favor of this identification uh, of the commander with the pre-incarnate Jesus uh, is the manner in which Joshua reacts to this commander. Moses hid his face. Joshua falls on his face. Uh, You might remember reading in the New Testament how once when no less a man than the Apostle Peter enters the house of Cornelius, uh, the Roman centurion, who uh, falls on his face and worships Peter, but we're told, Acts 10.26, but Peter raised him up, stand up, for I too am just a man. In Revelation 19.10, John, the Apostle John, falls at the feet of an angel who's been speaking to him, and I fell uh, at his feet to worship him, and he said to me, do not do that, for I am a fellow servant of yours and your brethren who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. But here in this case, the commander of the Lord's army receives, willingly receives, Joshua's worship without a word, directing him, in fact, to take off his shoes. Because he's not another man. And he's not an angel. Christians are not to fall on their faces before men and angels, but before God, before the eternal person of the Trinity, before Jesus. Yes, we we may very well fall on our faces to worship Him. Now, the third and final identification of this mysterious army commander as Jesus comes from the fact that throughout the Bible... The role of commander of the army of the Lord, the host of heaven, is repeatedly and very clearly identified as a messianic role. That meaning a role for Jesus, the Messiah. In Matthew twenty-five thirty-one, we read that when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Well, these angels are the host of heaven the heavenly army who will come with them. And their commander who comes with them is in, his, in all of his glory is the Son of Man. A title taken from the book of Daniel with, that Jesus often used of himself. Very similar is the reference uh, that Jesus makes of his triumphal return with the army host of heaven in Mark chapter 8, verse 38. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Same thing again appears in Revelation 19, 11 to 16, where Christ appears there as, as, as a warrior with a great angelic host of heaven to wage battle against the armies of the nations and the, and the, and, and the beasts that they follow. Uh, And so here in Joshua 5, we have the Lord Jesus, the Son of Man, the pre-incarnate Christ, the commander-in-chief of the host of heaven, standing free before Joshua with drawn sword in his hand. What a terror 
To be lying face down in the presence of the holy Jesus, revealed in this case as a mighty, unstoppable warrior. See, God reveals himself in different ways to us. He's not always this way. You need to think differently. It's not just Jesus this way, it's Jesus that way. And the more we read scripture, the bigger Jesus gets, the more glorious he gets. And here, he's not some wimp. He's the commander of the army of the Lord. And so, it's good for us to see him that way here. Um, But then again, not just... uh, 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 What what an honor, too, right? To to have, for Joshua, to to have been met by uh, the Lord Jesus. What What a portrait of blessing there on the... Uh, what a portent, I should say. Uh, what, a, what, what, a, what a promise of blessing on the eve of marching into battle uh, to take this land as he's facing these apparently impenetrable walls of Jericho. He's met by no less than the commander of the army of the Lord. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Come commander in chief. Come quickly. Well, as I look at this text, and <clears throat> that's so much for the identification, um, I take it that the purpose of this portion of Scripture is for Joshua to, Joshua to give us some instruction about how you and I are to, to meet and how we're to conduct ourselves in the presence of the Lord Jesus. So listen carefully. First of all, we should meet him with worship and humility. Uh, Joshua clearly demonstrates humility before God. He falls down, he worships him, he abases himself physically and emotionally and mentally. Uh, The sovereign Lord Jesus should evoke humility uh, from his people and and not just a willful uh, sort of shrug of diffidence or, or a show of independence uh, at least of all, an argumentative attitude uh, of spirit. Who would argue? Who would have attitude before the army of the, of the commander of the army of God? Seriously. I mean, we ought to have the wisdom, at least, to treat him with serious deference. This past year, we've <clears throat> seen some powerful things. We've, we've seen or heard of hurricanes earthquakes, seemingly endless forest fires, famine, some very nasty military conflicts around the world where many thousands have suffered and died, and a worldwide epidemic, which our forefathers would have called a plague, in which which over a million and a half people have died globally, 285,000 in the United States. That's Monday's figure. It's probably more now. And we we might be tempted to ask the Lord, are you for us or against us, Jesus? To which he might indeed reply, as he did to Joshua, no. Um, Are you for us, against us? No. Uh, What does that mean? I don't believe we're to take that as some take it as sort of a smart answer. Um, or as saying basically neither. Rather, I think that that answer is given to us 
to help us understand that we don't have God in our pocket. That he's not our personal bodyguard or bully or, or a genie <clears throat> in a bottle who, um, who doesn't, he doesn't even answer uh, to our logic. Sometimes he appears to be operating, in fact, on an altogether different plane of rationality. Your thoughts, says the Lord, are not my thoughts. And neither are your ways my ways. Isaiah 55, 8. So we don't understand many things about God, but we do know. What we do know is revealed to us because he revealed it to us in his creation and in his word. And he reveals to us that he's a holy, sinless, infinitely powerful God. And we know that he has entered, furthermore, into an everlasting covenant of love and commitment to us. We know that he sent his one and only son to save us. We know that he doesn't, he doesn't regard us dispassionately as, as we might regard a fly or an ant or some insect that we have no real interest in except as an inconvenience that we might sort of step on and squash out, but not even with any great thought or effort. No, no, God is a personal God. Uh, and Christ is our older brother and our great high priest who, who can be touched with a feeling of our infirmities and sympathizes with our weaknesses, having himself experienced uh, all these things in the man, Jesus Christ. But God in control notwithstanding, God the eternal uh, commander of the army of the Lord, uh, the commander of our lives. And, and that ought to inspire humility and worship. I mean, Job was a man who thought he could question God. And uh, God owed him some answers and some explanations about what was happening in his life. <laughs> but you recall that the Lord spoke to him and uh, answered Job out of the storm. And he said, who is this who darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man, Job, and, and uh, answer me, and I will question you. And, and uh, will you find, will the fault finder uh, question uh, the one who corrects him? Let, uh, let him who accuses God answer him. And, and uh, in the end, of course, Job has no answers <laughs> for God. And, and, and finally replies, I, I know that you can do all things. No plans of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this who obscures my counsel without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. Well, I guess what I'm saying is we're on good ground uh, and to, um, in this text and throughout the scriptures to consider our first response to the Sovereign Lord of hosts to be that of worship and humility, to fall down and worship as Joshua did. We need the humility to say, yes, Lord, uh, I happily and, uh, uh, and worship fully on before you uh, and your judgments and your wisdom and your eternal decrees. You are the mighty warrior. So how should we meet Jesus? That's the question before us this morning. We, we meet him as the commander of the army of hosts. 
uh, with um, humility and worship. And the second thing, we should meet him with attention. We, we, should, we should hear him. We should carefully listen to him. We read in the text, Joshua fell on his face in the earth and bowed to him and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? Now, you see, this is the big difference between the Christian and the non-Christian. <clears throat> Stating faith, says Bob Harding. Bob is a classmate uh, of mine in seminary who pastors the OPC church down in, in Middletown, Delaware. Uh, and I once heard Bob speak uh, from this very text in a meeting of the General Assembly of the OPC some years ago. And he said, saving faith offers listening ears to God. I still remember that. Saving faith offers listening ears to God. We believe that God needs listening to. In fact, as the commander of the army of God, we better listen to. Uh, the fact that uh, Jesus is the sovereign uh, Lord of hosts, and commander of the army, lends powerful, compelling credibility and unambiguous moral value and, and fearful persuasion to what he says, his words, don't you think? And it's because God knows all things from beginning to end in a single glance, because God has ordained all things and ultimately enforces all things and brings to pass all things without fail, all of that gives his word uh, not only perfect accuracy, but also perfect importance. He didn't waste words in the Bible. You may sometimes, we've all had the experience of reading certain passages of the Old Testament, we start to think to ourselves, man, I'm not getting it. I mean, what's this genealogy? You know, or what's this long passage? You know, we don't always get it all, but be patient. <laughs> you may come to a day when you will get that. You'll read that same text and you'll think, oh, now I see. Well, it's all God's Word. Um, so, we can trust it. And we know absolutely that He knows what He's talking about. Um, if I need advice about something, I don't go to some ignoramus to, 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 to find out the answer. If I want to discover the best way to repair a certain part of the action of a Steinway Grand, I don't go consult the, the, the salesman in the hardway, hardware aisles of, of Home Depot. Uh, I call up the, the Steinway factory and I talk with one of the, the technicians who, who builds them and, and he knows them inside and out. Doesn't that make sense? Now, God has not revealed everything to us. Uh, we could never take it all in if he did. But what he has revealed is, is true and certain. And so we should listen to God's inscripturated voice, the, the Bible. We should immerse ourselves in it. Christians have always been known as a people of the book. That was an old expression for Christians. The Christians are the people of the book as Bible readers, except... Most of us hardly deserve that title. Some of us don't really want to hear it. Sometimes we're just too lazy to read it. Most of the time we simply don't regard it as a serious priority in our busy lives. But the most fruitful, uh, the most uh, used and blessed servants of God throughout the Bible and throughout history have been those who stopped to listen to his word. What did young Samuel say when... When God called to him, 
He said, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. What did Moses say when he was addressed by Jesus, God, from the burning bush? He said, here I am. And uh, what does Joshua say? What does my Lord have to say to his servant? So are you listening to God? Uh, We know that that God blesses his word, that God the Holy Spirit has bound himself to the word. And so when you read the word, it's not just some old, dusty old book and people say, well, why are you reading that old book, you know? Well, because, because this is God's book and God the Holy Spirit comes down and blesses it and, and drives it into our heart and makes it come alive. If you haven't experienced that, that burning sense when you've read the scriptures, well, ask God to... Do it for you. (laughs) Because he's with his word and will bless you uh, through it. Are you listening? Does God have your attention? Are you asking him to speak to you through his word? Now, a third thing. um, How we're to meet with Jesus with humility and worship, with full attention to his word. And here's a third. It really goes along together with humble worship and listening, and that is obedience. Uh, in order that we may follow the example, we should follow the example of, of, of Joshua, who, who hastened to obey. Uh, the text before us, in fact, specifically records that when Jesus told uh, Joshua to take off his sandals in his presence, uh, Joshua did so. The text records that. Joshua did so, verse 15. Now, the fact that uh, Jesus is the sovereign commander uh, and chief is a strong suggestion that obedience to his revealed will might be a wise course of action. Um, All other authorities, uh, brothers and sisters, err in their judgments and commands. Parents err. Human judges err. All synods and councils since the apostles' time may err and many have erred. And that is why they are not to be made Uh, the rule of faith and practice, Westminster Confession of Faith. But God does not err. And if the justices of the United States Supreme Court had read their Bibles a little more carefully, which I think is reflected in the Constitution, and listened and obeyed God, they would have never given us the Dred Scott decision which hastened along the a horrible civil war, or Brown versus Board of Education, which enforced a wretched uh, racial segregation in the South especially, or Roe v. Wade, which brought us the blood guilt of millions and the disgrace of abortion on demand. And likewise, you and I would be spared many heartaches if we would listen and obey God's revealed will as we find it clearly given in the Scriptures. Shouldn't we have the good sense to obey the commander of the army of God? Maybe that's enough said on that point. But the last thing, inspired by this revelation of Jesus as the sovereign commander of the army of the Lord, and, and, and that is his confidence. He gives confidence. Joshua understands that this is the captain of the host of God standing before him, and that he was taking charge uh, of the battle. Move aside, Joshua. Um, The drawn sword. He comes to conclude pretty quickly it was not intended for him, but for his enemies. 
In fact, if we correctly read Joshua 6.1, which follows the last verse of our text, and is about Joshua, about Jericho being shut inside and out, if we take that as we should, as a parenthetical statement inserted in the text, then the recorded words of the next verse, uh, 6-2, are simply a continuation of Jesus' address uh, uh, to Joshua, who's still lying on his, fee, uh, on his face at Jesus' feet. Uh, and where he gives Joshua some detailed instructions about what he, the Lord God, the second person of the Trinity, uh, intends to do with Israel. And, uh, and or rather, what he was going to do with the, uh, the, the people in Jericho and what Israel was to do, which was not too awfully much. Uh, uh, Joshua is not the mighty warrior. And the weight of the future of the Israelites does not lay upon his shoulders, but upon the Lord. Think what confidence that must have given uh, uh, to, to, to Joshua. To know that the the Lord God, the Prince of Heaven, the Commander of the Army of God was taking charge of all things. And and he had a plan to collapse those walls. Uh, The Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hands with its king and mighty men of valor. Joshua would, would lead his army into Jericho, but the commander uh, was going to win uh, the battle for his people. It reminds me a little bit of, of the prophet Elisha trapped, trapped in, in the city of Dothan. Maybe you remember this. He was, he was surrounded by the army of the, the king of Syria who was very annoyed at the fact that Joshua was con- or Elisha was constantly giving away his, his battle plans, which he knew by the grace of God to the king of of, uh, of Israel, Judah, and, and so he goes to capture him. And uh, we read in 2 Kings 6 that when the army, uh, when the servant of the man of God, that is uh, the servant of Elisha, rose early in the morning and went out, and behold, an army of horses and chariots was all around the city. This was the army of the king of Israel. And uh, the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? And he, Elisha, said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those with them. And Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Could there be any doubt that... um, Elisha was safe with the Lord of hosts and his mighty warrior angels surrounding him. Reminding himself that Jesus is not only our Savior, but also our Commander-in-Chief should give us great cause of confidence uh, before the Lord. Those who are with us are more than those against us. The Lord Almighty is with us. God, the God of Jacob, is our fortress. So are there any Jerichos in your life this morning? Difficulties shut tight against the puny efforts of of your own 
and standing in the way of your progress and resistant to your, to your own earthly efforts and, and abilities. Could you put your confidence in the commander of the Lord of hosts? Don't you know, he will bring the victory, even if it doesn't come when and in the way that you had planned it. Well, it's just another revelation of our Lord Jesus, the Christophany. Have you ever thought of Jesus as commander of the army of the Lord? That's a pretty powerful image. And it didn't come out of my own overheated imagination. It it came from the Word of God, um, God's self-disclosure, and which fits pretty neatly into our evening Advent series on the names of Jesus. Jesus is here before us in this text. And, 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 and he says, this also is who I am. I am the door. I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. And I am the commander of the army of the Lord. How shall we meet the commander of the Lord of hosts, his army? How shall we meet Jesus and think of him? How shall we regard him? Well, with humility and worship, with attention, listening to his gospel, his obedi- with obedience and with great confidence. Jesus is commander-in-chief. I can salute that. Let's pray. Lord our God, thank you for this really very simple thought and revelation of yourself. And yet, Lord, a great picture. Father, you, you show us to, your, to, to yourself to us in wonderful ways. We, we see you in the glory of creation. We see you also in your word as you reveal yourself to us. And with your mighty names and with your mighty acts, we see how great and loving and gracious and saving and powerful you are. Father, we worship you. We bless you. We commit ourselves to you this day. In Jesus' name, amen.